Little Darkness series from Darker Days Radio. Uh, I'm going to bring up my show notes so I actually have the typical spiel. So yes, Signal Black is a Darker Days series that's introducing and exploring the numerous Chronicles of Darkness 2nd edition settings currently developed by Onyx Path Publishing. In this series, we, the host of Darker Days Radio, alongside when we do get things scheduling works out, um, we'll get some of the Onyx Path writers who have written for the relevant game we're talking about or related to it or played enough of them anyway uh, we'll discuss the settings and basic mechanics of each game and highlight the type of characters you can play and explore the role-playing experiences each game provides and of course today we are going to be talking about mage the awakening you be, might be thinking why aren't you doing werewolf well again scheduling issues mean that werewolf got pushed back to hopefully it's going to be next month but we're doing mage today so, yes, I'm Chris, one of the regular hosts of Darker Days Radio, and obviously I've written for Chronicles of Darkness in the form of writing for Changing the Lost 2nd Edition. And we are joined by Chig. How's it going, Chig? Or Bryce, as it is on the thing, Chig. Um, <laughs> what are you up to, Chig? How's things going? Oh, you know, same old same. Work, work, work. Game, <laughs> game, game. Work, work, work. <laughs> game, game, game. Yeah, I know that feeling. And we are joined by Crystal again. How's it going, Crystal? Hello, it's going. I am on spring break. You're on spring break. Yeah. That doesn't sound as exciting as spring break scenes <laughs> in the movies. Um, no, because we're supposed to have snow and rain in Wisconsin over like the entire wait, week. So wait, wait, are you mean you're not going to the beach and like you know, in your bikini and having wild crazy parties at the frat house or something? Come on. I mean, my closest beach is Lake Michigan, and if you've ever seen any of the Great Lakes in the winter, yeah, you can just you, walk you're not going it. on there. <laughs> <laughs> there was an ice flow that actually um, pushed up into and destroyed three homes on the the shores of Lake Michigan this week. So wow. yeah, <laughs> crazy. so you could walk across it. Nice. Yep. Um, wow. Yeah, it's been warm here in Sheffield. It's warm. For spring too warm well unusually warm i would feel but it's been good because i've been able to do my patio i'm knackered from scraping paint and then painting it again it's uh and chucking stuff out of my basement and everything i'm really going to town on getting things done up in this house finally um yeah and hobby stuff as well i've got too many different things to write right now and i'm under so many different ndas it's it's a bit fun um but enough of that uh we're going to talk about this we're going to talk about, ooh, will it work? Yeah, Mage the Awakening, second edition. This is the POD version. I wish I had a trad print of this, like the classic um, first edition, because it had a really kind of like pearlescent feel to it. Um, mm -hmm. But yes, Mage. Uh, who wants to do the five minute pitch of what Mage the Awakening is? <laughs> Shall I try it? I'll try it. I can okay. I, go. I'll, go if, for it. if you want to try, Chick. I mean, I can, I can try. Um... Gone. Mage the Awakening. Mage. I can't even say the word. Mage the Awakening uh, is a game about reclaiming humanity's birthright to magic. Uh, humanity lives in our our world, the world of darkness, the fallen realm, and they are cut off from the supernal realm, the realm that magic uh, emanates from. Uh, Mage the Awakening is a game about reshaping the world to your to your whims, uh, but there is always the danger of hubris. So. You want to reclaim your birthright. You want to get your power back that was taken from you. But if you push too hard, if you push too far, it could turn around and slap you back down. That's what Mage the Awakening is about. 
Yeah, I think that that sums up quite a lot very, you know, very succinctly. I mean, the the tagline is, you know, Mage is a storytelling game of modern sorcery, which makes sense. Uh, it is a game about where the world is a lie. And, you know, we're going to make some nods to the elephant in the room, which is, of course, Mage the Ascension. Um, which doesn't yet have a fifth edition, and I think it's actually interesting. Maybe to we'll do some nods to it because, of course, I'll be curious about how how much of Mage the Awakening gets ported into Mage the Ascension. I would you know, be shocked cause... if Paradox Dice didn't make the make the jump wholesale. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, um, yeah, okay. So let's get into that a bit more. So, again, much like Mage the Ascension, then what 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 do mages do? How is their magic different to say how we would think of magic in other, um, you know, urban, fancy, modern horror settings? Uh, Crystal, do you want to go for that one? You can actually answer it pretty easily. Um, so the way that I think about it is, is that it, it's almost like they're plucking out like little teeny tiny threads of magic from where they came from and if you're not careful it's like a rubber band and it'll snap you you can you can pull so much so far and you can kind of try to thread them together as much as possible to create a longer line um but it's it's always a risk like with rubber bands and the more magic you want to pull through the bigger the rubber band is Mm -hmm. yeah i always think of rubber bands as being incredibly risky so i like Mm -hmm. that analogy (laughs) And, and yeah, so magic is a dangerous thing. Um, mm-hmm. I would say if we're going to compare, and I used to play a lot of Mage Ascension back in the day, I would say by comparison, I'm going to say uh, people may disagree. I think Mage Awakening wants you to do magic, whereas Mage the Ascension, I always feel like, oh, you can do magic, but it was really always really hard to do so. And I think that's just because Mage the Awakening has a different... Uh, I obviously learned from from the previous uh, incarnation iteration of Mage. And so it was like, let's get people to do more magic. Um, and of course, like Mage Ascension, ma- uh, magic is not just like setting stone spells. We're not talking like a D&D list of exhaustive amounts of spells where, and, th- and they are all, all you can do and the only things you can do, unless your GM lets you, you know, design some new spells to put into the game. The whole point about mage is creative magic. So there are, it, it's just you've just got different flavors, energies essentially of mm-hmm. magic that you are using. You are spinning together because you have a soul that is open up to this supernal realm essentially, and you can spin together any type of spell you can envision. The limitation is essentially your imagination and what things you have control of and if you are doing enough to mitigate paradox and the fact that the fallen world doesn't like certain types of magic um i guess that's that gets into then the other thing to say is that the magic of mages is quite different to like the magical abilities of other things in the in the in this world of darkness we'll say that chronicles of darkness portrays a, a world of darkness um other creatures magic are kind of like baked into the world like they're part of the world part of the cage we'll get into that whereas mages are really trying to like you know do something different and break the rules 
Uh, so what can we play? Uh, who wants to go for these? Who wants to just give us a rundown of what we can play? Okay, I'll buy it. Um, <laughs> so it's a Chronicle of Darkness game. So it has the, the standard three axes. Um, it has uh, your path or tower that you awaken to, which uh, determines the two arcana that you are primarily attuned to. You can use any of them, but these are the ones that you are, spe that you are especially good at. Um, one is the ruling arcana and one is the inferior arcana, but that's okay because we love all arcana the same. Mm -hmm. uh, the second axis is uh, the order to which you belong to, which is a kind of a, kind of a political group, but it's also, yeah. it's also your philosophy of what magic is. It's the nearest... Um, correspondence in uh, the Ascension would have been your tradition, but it's really not a tradition because, well, not they're a tradition. They're much broader than traditions. They're much, they're, well, well mm -hmm. they're much broader than traditions were when this was written, but traditions yeah. have become much broader since this was written. So make of that what you will. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, the third axis is your legacy, which is like a bloodline if you're a vampire. It's kind of a little little way that you can specialize your your character and your magic and what you do yeah and those um, are the three things that make a mage i'm good at lists today <laughs> yeah um so yeah so a, so what happens then with with a path is that you know, you you through circumstances and they can be varied um realize the world is a lie and you begin to see I guess the um, within the fallen world, you see how the supernatural realms kind of are reflected, how they're woven together to create the tapestry of reality, and that leads you on a um, a journey. It can be it can be a physical journey, or it could be a journey into your soul. I can't quite remember actually in the book, but it it depends upon the person. It can be a very dreamlike experience. Uh, it, it could be a, a waking dream, but essentially you are drawn across the abyss to the to the watchtower uh, that is tied to the path that you're going to align to. Um, and essentially there you, you are drawn into that supernal realm and you write your true name upon the tower. And that's what mm -hmm. gives you your path. Uh, basically, that's what creates the conduit, which allows you to draw magic down into the fallen uh fallen realm uh and as i said there's there's five of these uh paths each to a tower um let's let's start going through them and have a bit of a discussion of what each one is like so we've got canthus which are which again so unlike mage dissension i would say these are broader and more archetypes and so when we say witch and enchanter, we're not going to go, we're not saying with the Acanthus, they are Wiccans. They are Celtic kind of wizards and enchanters in that sense. We're, we're talking witches and enchanters, they're more in an ar archetype thematically. Um, and they... I mean, they can be oh, cackling old be. ladies with a with a cauldron, but, but I mean, that they can also be people who are, you know, making homebrew or whatever. Yeah. And so Acanthus, they are tied to the supernal realm of Arcadia, which is an important distinction to make from the Arcadia we know in uh, Changeling the Lost, which I believe is meant to be a fallen reflection of the supernal realm. And 
from there they draw the power of uh, the of the arcanas, which are fate and time. So, you know, time is obviously manipulation of time, you know, forward, backwards, into the future, into the past, scrying into the future, uh, rewinding things for a brief split second or moving through time at different rates. Whereas fate is more, you are fated to do this thing or, or altering people's fate or again, seeing how people are connected so there's connections and so the watchtower is that of the lunagent thorn um any other points you want to raise on acanthus or what's kind of cool about them um so you mentioned that they're they're witches and i want to want to touch on that for a minute um they can get power by making deals and bargains with with fate with what they think of as fey beings not again not not the changing the lost fey those are different guys and they don't do well with them but they can so they they can they can seek out and make uh bargains that they have you know they can get you know this this magical ability and all they have to do is go you know put a quarter in this uh in this phone booth at you know two o'clock in the morning on next thursday why who knows because that's what the fey want it's some it's part of some bigger overarching plot that you don't really know but you've made this bargain and now you're gonna have to be at this at this alley at two o'clock in the morning next thursday to put a quarter in in the phone booth so I really like that about them. It just the whole having, you know, having things that you have to do because you made these deals with these strange extra reality creatures is that 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 is a fantastic idea for a for a, a, a whole entire chronicle. We'll get to that in a little while. Sure. Um so Mastagos are warlocks and psychonauts. So they have command over mind and space. So obviously with space, that means you can create portals across space you know jump from one point of the world to the other you can manipulate space so you can create little pockets of it which can't be easily detected me or you can do you know you can do stupid doctor who like stuff you know the 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 inside of the shed is bigger than the outside that type of thing um it allows it's also you... good for scrying good for scrying can... yeah scrying yeah. across you know rather than just scrying across time scrolling across space to other locations um i yeah, always think and... of them as like the carmen san diego of yeah. mages <laughs> space is also in a sense is also about connections of things uh, again but more in mm-hmm. how you could think of it in more in the case of like whereas fate is connected by destiny and, and, a, and a gaius and and so forth i would say space is the connection of like uh, I would say kind of more in a in a in a raw kind of information kind of sense, like because where things occupy in space is really governed by rules. Um and the mind is kind of like the the fact that our experience of space and and also time is mediated by how we experience it in our head. Like we have to build in our mind where things are and where they're placed. So spaces could could be considered an illusion of the mind hence why mind is the the ruling arcana over it uh and of course with mind you can do all the other things you expect with mind like you know remove memories uh fabricate dreams uh and delve into people's minds and explore them hence psychonauts uh and you can also the... you can also just sense emotions it doesn't all yes. have to be horrible stuff oh no it doesn't have to be horrible stuff, <laughs> Ma- no, doesn't you... have to be magical gaslighting chris gosh calm down <laughs> <laughs> um you 
obviously it's tied to the realm of pandemonium which is the realm of the supernatural realm of demons and the watchtower of the iron gauntlet so um when we say demons though it's more about your inner demons in the sense so a master gloss is seeking to better themselves through trial and tribulation uh so it's mind over matter in that sense um and yeah i i think they're my favorite of the paths um because obviously it relates to the classic kind of um uh what are they called why can't i think of them um from classic mage um order of hermes no um uh, not you not you can't though uh, uh computer guys oh virtual edits oh, virtual virtu edits with, with doing all that because they were space and correspondence and connections of things see um, because when i read them i thought immediately of john constantine from, yeah they are that dc comics mm. um definitely but i think you can again it just shows how much scope there is within by taking those arcana and what you can do with them and filtered through and we'll get to that the orders and legacies you can you can really create any kind of mage you really want to get want to want to play um obviously because they deal with mind and inner demons that means they have quite a good connection to the gotia which is the the uh demons of your soul within the inner soul and drawing them forth and overcoming them to obviously improve and shape your soul uh any other comments on mastagos okay and no? i'm good got moros which are alchemists and necromancers they have command of death and matter so again matter is inert substance death is about transition from life into inert matter uh their realm is stygia the supernal realm of stygia which again is different to the underworld and the tower of the lead coin uh any other anything any thoughts or opinions on the moros i thought these guys were just the most obvious of all five of the paths yeah they deal with death they deal with dead things Right, it says right there on the tin that yeah i the these are probably my favorite but i love doing dealing anything with alchemy and uh necromancy like those two yeah. are some of my favorite magics to play around with they yeah as alchemists they have a good crossover and we'll talk about crossovers because i mean we've already mentioned demons at one point we've mentioned <laughs> fey moros have an automatic obvious crossover with um with Prometheans. With Prometheans due to being alchemists or Geist due to being necromancers. Yep. Um, we've got Obramos, which are Thaumaturges and Theogists. They have control over prime and forces. So forces obviously is things like light, sound, energy, electrical energy, lightning bolts, uh, or the removal of those things. So, you know, you know, darkness is the lack of light but weirdly i think darkness could also be manipulated by death so there's a little bit of weirdness there and prime is the the very raw energy of of magic and also the the creation of illusions like fabricating magical constructs so i think that also gets you over into some sort of element of illusions doesn't it right uh their supernal realm is the ether which is the realm of angels and beings similar to that and the tower of the golden key um i mean they're pretty much your your hermetic mage in that sense uh throwing around fireballs very uh, i'm not going to mention um the other magical media right now because it should be 
chucked in the trash fire because of a certain writer. So, um, but I think they're also overall so quite. You you can look at them and go, oh, that's what I'm going to play. You can also, as I said, theogists. So they're the idea of the person calling upon a higher power to bring down magical smiting upon someone. Uh, any other thoughts on the Overmoths? What we like about them? Um, I like that uh, they're, and I come from a, all this stuff through the first read through. Uh, they're a good middle ground between the um, Celestial Chorus and the Order of Hermes. Yeah. Uh, so y- they they deal with you know the angels and the the higher realms. They uh, they can call down you know angels and they can talk to them. And they can ask them for favors or they can just say no. Turns out I'm in charge here and you're gonna go ahead and uh, light that dude's head on fire. Thanks. Yeah. But it's a it's a it's a nice little it's a it's a broad spectrum of of uh, mage there. Yes. And then finally we've got Thyrsus, which are the shamans and. Uh, aesthetics, so their spirit and life, um, life being, you know, living things, that. So again, when we talk about all these arcana, life is good at manipulating, um, how can we say, things... Things that are alive? Things that are alive, <laughs> but not human, because human within the, the uh, metaphysics of the setting, humans are differentiated because of the nature of their soul. So animals plants and bacteria they don't have souls that that can tap into all these different energies and so they fall under primarily life whereas if you want to manipulate humans you're going to need life plus also mix in some other things to start creating a human from scratch uh and spirit is of course the idea that creatures and things have reflections in the spirit realm and so it's that animistic kind of idea so if you see a car in the spirit realm its spirit is this bloated thing that enjoys it's kind of like a panther but it's got like a body of chrome and metal and it's got red spots and it you know its fangs are dripping oil and it loves just chasing things down on the uh down the 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 reflection of the of the highways um and they're the tower of the singing stone uh again i think there's a lot you can do with that going with the ecstatics you can go with i guess mages who are all about um you know drugs and psychedelics and rock and roll and trying to push yourself to to experience the world on a on a different plane um yeah and again shamans that's you know, there's so many different interpretations. We're not just talking about uh, Native American shamans. We're not, you know, it's sh- shamanistic traditions are, are diverse. Um, and I think the important thing to note with all of these is they're not, they are not tied at all to any particular real world magical group or ethnicity or anything. So there is no like, oh, you're not western culture so clearly you're magical because of your beliefs there's none of that this is all these are all archetypes of magic interpreted because the magic that you perform as a mage and mage the awakening is act comes from act, something beyond our world and before our world became fallen any other comments on the past before we carry on yep no i think there's some there might be like there's meant to be in some of the books there's like mention of like further watchtowers um 
and maybe like an abyssal watchtower i can't remember that some of that might be first edition and some of it might be second edition but there's there's definitely um you know there's a lot of scope with these and the watchtowers are all tied to i want to call them at least in first edition they're tied to guardians they were kind of erected as the world became formed they were these were created in the super realm to guide humanity back to magic uh, because we've been cut off from it by nefarious groups, which we will get into now, because we're going to talk about the orders. So, as Chick said, these are the political and philosophical groups. Um, would someone like to dive through these ones, then? Sure. After you, Crystal. <laughs> Ladies we first. can share. How's that? Okay, good deal. All right. So, the um, Adamantian Arrow is, uh, like... Life is pain and tribulation. Um, they are always trying to improve themselves through um, their failures. They try to kind of emerge better. It's almost like a, uh, I'm going to uh, compare it to like the Bahari where they're always trying to experience everything in life, including the bad things in order to make themselves better and more knowledgeable about their own magics um and honor and service is that um, yeah they yeah i put that down because like they see enlightenment is honor so that they in the book it says a warrior soul that expresses her her intentions then accomplishes those specific aims reveals a vision unimpeded by distractions and the uncompromised and and uncompromised by the fallen world uh challenges are more worthy and the challenger restricts his options. Honorable mages act in accordance with their ideals in true harmony with their perfect selves. So I think it's all about they're the ones which, as you say, it's it's being true to yourself and pushing mm -hmm. yourself to your limits. Right. It's, it's, it's trying to, you have to push yeah. yourself to and beyond your limits so that you can improve. So to find a way to improve, you have to find your limits and then overcome those limits, which I mean, okay, sure, that's one philosophy. Absolutely not my philosophy. Hey, you do you, Adamantine Arrow. Love you. You're out there. You're you're kicking butt. You're taking names. Appreciate you being out there. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they kind of see themselves as trying to grow through their failures um, and trying to figure out where exactly their limits are, pushing that limit and continuing to grow in their magic until it blows up in their face. <laughs> They're also the more militant group out of all of the pentacle orders. So they their roots are much more, I don't want to say violent, but, you know, they're about, you know, um, defense and offense. They're, they're, they're about, more martial. They're definitely more martial. They're, and they're, Not they're necessarily more violent. Yeah. And they're, they're definitely out to take the war for reality to the very doorsteps of the seers of the throne and other enemies uh, and there are plenty um i mean i like them because again uh, i mean essentially you can from classic mage you could definitely play an akashic brotherhood type mage they definitely fit into that kind of scope but you could quite easily play like a thirst um not thirst an obramos kind of like knights templar type mage who who is in service to a higher ideal because that's we should not be selfish or you could play 
Uh, okay, hear me out. Here's here's my idea for an adamantine arrow. He's a thyrsus who is an ecstatic, and he's all about eating hotter and spicier foods to push his limits. <laughs> Interesting. I mean... There's nothing in the it, rules that say you can't do it that way. The dog can play basketball. <laughs> it could work. Like, it, it could definitely work. I'm not sure how all the other arrows would think about that one, but... <laughs> <laughs> hey man this is my path not yours okay so they're, they're definitely about you know about mar the martial use of of magic and and that life is war and war is life that kind of ideal whereas the guardians of the veil vale are the second worst of the orders <laughs> they're this what behind the seas of the throne Yes. Yeah, they are pretty. They are. They are pretty much. <laughs> they are a bunch of bastards. I feel the Guardians um, of the Veil vale are assholes. They are assholes, <laughs> but they 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 want to keep magic a secret because they feel every time paradox occurs, um, the abyss widens, and so we're cut off from magic further. So they want to. They want to get people to awaken in a very controlled manner and they police magical society and they form mystery cults to test people. Um, they've got a whole whole host of these different masks in their kind of like culture that are used as part of their mystery cults as part of the indoctrination. Um, yeah. So you know how the Illuminati rule the world and they control the Shriners and the Boy Scouts and everything. This is where that comes from in uh, in the Chronicles of Darkness. Yeah. These are the these are the the magical masters that rule the world for really reals, except you know not really, but they're the ones who are trying to weed out the ch the the chaff and just take the wheat. Yeah. They're elitists. Uh, they're they're bastards. They're a meritocracy. <laughs> that's for certain. Uh... They claim to be a meritocracy. Yes. <laughs> it also says one of the one of the headings of one of their like philo phil philosophies is sins for a just end grant wisdom mages hone wisdom by affecting compassionate acts but guardians lie and kill sacrificing their own integrity to safeguard the enlightenment so i guess they they see themselves as like we're doing the shitty tasks that no one else wants to do for the benefit of the greater good um that nobody asks them to do. They're just <laughs> yes. assholes. Oh, <laughs> just <man. laughs> In fact, uh, I think maybe they might be worse than the Seers of the Throne. Wow, that's a hot take. <laughs> this is definitely Look, why okay, we need to play okay. a game of Mage then. <laughs> okay, hold on. Look, I'm, I'm going to skip to the end. The Seers of the Throne are the bad guys in this in this setting. You don't play as a Seer of the Throne. They're the willing servants of the Exarchs. The Exarchs are the people... Or, the beings who live in the supernal realm and keep us keep want want to keep all that magical power for themselves. Seers of the throne are their 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 faction here on Earth, right? Okay, so the seers of the throne are willingly keeping people out. The guardians of the veil are doing the same thing. They're just saying we have a good reason for it. No, you're just assholes. I mean, it's it's a hard thing, isn't it? Because it's you, you I mean... you've got this. No, but well, you've got the, you've got this incredibly powerful thing, and you want everyone to be awakened. But you know the dangers of if everyone awakened at the same time, it'd be absolute chaos and could potentially cause the abyss to just go 
catastrophic and consume the world. That's the danger. So it's almost like it's a very fine line of of guiding people, but also or you could have seven billion people to go kick the exarchs right out of the supernal realms, and who cares about the fallen world? That's it's a lie. <laughs> it's. I think it's a difficult. I think it's definitely a difficult balance, and mostly why it'd be really fun to explore. Uh, why you know why it's fun to explore in the game. Um, yeah, I could play Guardian of the Veil. Yeah, that'd be fun. It is definitely the you same would. dudes <laughs> that just are in both of them, where you're like, no, I'm doing it for the right reasons, yeah. but they're all the wrong reasons. So uh, next up, we have the best faction, the <laughs> best order, is the Mysterium. Of course you would. Yeah. <laughs> they, they seek out mysteries and lost secrets to protect it from a mundane society and those who would uh, destroy it. Uh, so this is uh, like Indiana Jones, except for not, you know, putting it in a museum somewhere. Yeah, and you can play that Indiana Jones type scenarios because there are numerous things that don't belong to the fallen world and don't obey uh, carbon dating. So you could go like, there's this ancient temple that's been discovered that you get to through a tunnel that's in the middle of, of London and you go down it and you're suddenly in this cavern and it's not a cavern and you're suddenly you're actually in a a part of the world or a pocket of the world where you're now high up in the mountains that's similar to the himalayas and some ancient temple so you can you can do that kind of gallivanting around the world kind of you know searching for lost magic and and these are the fun ones Oh, they're they're definitely fun, yeah. These are the guys who are there for the adventure and for the excitement, and you want to go over there and, you know, have life is pain and horrible. Uh, (laughs) And I want to keep you out of my fun clubhouse. That's great. You go play play those dudes. I want to be the guy who goes out with a whip and uh, fights Nazis at the center of the earth and uncovers, you know, the magical crystal of the And by Nazis, in this case, do you mean Sears of the Throne or do you mean Guardians of the Veil? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean both potatoes and potatoes. Yes. <laughs> okay, moving on. I'm realizing that we're we are running out of time rapidly. Sorry, sorry. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> the silver ladder. Um, they See, are gone. These guys are my favorite. Really? Tell us about them, Crystal. Yeah, because they they want to like let every human reach their actual potential like for for magics and uh try to make the world better from the damage that was done by the exarchs and yeah um i like personally do like resonate with that that whole mentality of every individual should be uh given the the ability to try to reach their own potential whatever that is but they should have that that ability yeah agreed they're the second good one i would say and and the thing is when you so with the silver ladder you've got adamantmire arrow guardians of veil and mysterium they make up the the diamond of orders the four original orders and they in their history they don't all date all the way back to before the fallen world they they all try to emulate and gather lore and understanding of ancient um pre-fallen traditions that they kind of align to them slightly so 
which is a change to I think first edition was a bit more like oh they are those groups from the ancient past whereas this is more like they're not quite they some are older some of these orders are older than another one or they may have split at a certain point and so that's why you've got or I think there may even be orders that don't exist that did exist that type of thing like kind of like in in uh, with covenants in in vampire uh, but adjoining them is the more recent order which is the free council which is my favorite one the wheel spinners tell us about them chris so essentially uh the fallen world is a cage that is a cage reality created by the the uh by the exarchs and i guess the idea is that the exarchs thought okay we've made this cage and you can't ha there is no way you can do humans can do magic but essentially the free council finds the symbolism in the fallen world to still do magic and draw it out through the cage itself so they will use i would say where the other or where the other orders use this they may use techniques and uh tools which look distinctly magical the free council will can hide their magic through modern day ideas apparatus tools etc does that sound fair enough yeah. Um, yeah. Obviously, they they absolutely um, the f they they really fucking hate the Seers of the Throne. They almost got recruited to become uh, part of the Seers of the Throne, and they basically went no because they were originally called the Nameless Order. There was a whole not coup, but they went ballistic on them, and and it was all out war. Um, they so they definitely hate the lie. They hate the cage for what it is, but are using it against the uh, against the Caesar throne. They're definitely also more democratic, or at least idealistically trying to be more of a democratic approach to magic. So I guess go against the Guardians, the Veil, and the Silver Ladder to a certain extent. Uh, yeah, so in in different ways they are they are opposed to elements of the other orders but they also side with the diamond because the seers throne are complete bastards which is you know the truth of the matter <laughs> so that's that's the that's the orders obviously we said the seers of the throne they've got they do horrible things as well like um they are further split into groups based upon which exarch they follow um and they've got horrible tools which uh, was it the profane orem is it profane something or other which allows them to essentially if they've marked certain people they can do possession from a distance wearing these oh. robes so they can be quite scary as an antagonist like you don't know so this basic this regular joe walking the street is actually a member of the seers of the throne watching you so that's quite terrifying um and as we said, legacies are essentially um... further refinements of yeah. your order. If you I... if you want to be a uh, a Mysterium who goes out in Indiana's some Joneses goes out with his whip and fights Nazis and stuff, that's one legacy. If you want to be the one who works in the lab and you know figures out what this magical glowing rock that the Indiana Jones guy brought back actually does, or how it fits into the uh, you know, furthering the mysteries and finding out more about the supernal realm—that's a different legacy. And all of the all of the orders have have little little legacies like that that are specializations. 
and I would say legacies are a good place where if you want to have that this have a group that seems like a real world kind of magic society uh, that's tied to a particular region of the world, a particular philosophy or history, that's legacies are where I would tap into that. Um, and legacies have some cool benefits called like attainments. So they can internalize certain spells. So they they essentially don't cause i think don't cause paradox do they they're right least... they're just they're just things that you can you can do because you've practiced it enough and made it and your, yeah, part your of soul yourself. is part of your soul essentially yeah. yeah um so i really like how legacies work uh in this game what can we do then uh who wants to talk about how magic works in this game i mean crystal you've run it at demos tell us about how magic works in this game um magic so one of the cool things about this this game and the book actually is that if you go to the um table of contents all of the magic is actually like outlined in its dot form and easy to find like super super quick to turn to so you're not like flipping through everything trying to find it a lot of the spells and stuff like that are written in such a way that they are interpreted depending upon the character so you can take these spells and kind of customize them to how your character would work them versus you have just a set number of spells. Um, and each dot has a whole listing of spells that you can do. And it's not anything that you're prepared. It's if you have that dot, you have access to those spells. Um, so it's a lot more open than what a lot of other things are. Yeah. Well, it's more open than other than some other RPGs. I want to go ahead and point out that unlike some other games that were also named Mage, uh, the effects for each of the Arcanum uh, are fairly uniform. So if you have one dot mm -hmm. in an Arcanum, uh, that will let you compel, know, and unveil the things that fall within that Arcanum. So if you have one dot of, um, say, life, you can know how many cats are in this building just you just know if you have one dot of matter you can know that uh that one in the middle that's the real diamond the two on the outside cubic zirconium yeah. and it's 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 like that from from level one to level five yep yeah and that is that is so much easier than some other versions of magic that i've seen <laughs> Yeah, it, it does make it incredibly easy to work out what level you need in an arcana, uh, in an arcana, in order to perform a spell, and at that point, which ones you then need to mix essentially to do some other spell, which requires manipulation of, you know, whether mm -hmm. it, yeah, if you want to if you want to do true scrying, you're going to need space and time because you want to look over time and space and just pick a point. A place and a time and go i want to see what's happening there right now you're gonna need oh what's it gonna be you're mostly gonna need what time and space two in both cases because it's ruling which grants full con fuller control over the phenomena yeah but yeah it's mostly that um whereas if you want to prevent people scrying you you in time and space you're going to shield yourself you're likely going to need time and space both at two because you'll be using the veiling um mm -hmm. and, or is it veiling yeah conceal things whereas mm. shielding would be if you're trying to stop if you're trying to person... put something outside of time yeah yes, so that it exactly. so that my, my my sandwich doesn't go bad before i can eat it 
that's it is good. now shielded from time. That's a good. That's a good use of uh, time. Um, and <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty much it. There's there's the way that spells work is that you're going to be rolling a dice pool, as always. That's going to be made up of uh, what's the dice pool always made up of? It's been a while since I've looked at this myself, but it's um it's the Arcana and your Gnosis rating, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Casting yep. a spell. There we go. And there are suggested rote skills for every spell um, that can affect how the spell goes off or appears. Um, adjust, like, it, with anything with Chronicles of the Darkness, if you can justify it through the system, you can, and your storyteller uh, supports that, then you can use that for the role. So. Mm-hmm. And... I think what's important to point out at this this point is that there's no you're unlike another game with which has the name Mage, um, you are never going to have to justify whether you're allowed to do that type of spell or, or how you do it based upon something called a paradigm. There's none of that. Okay, that is not in this. So I think that's a really important point to make. So where reality and the reason you can shape reality in that other game called mage is because reality is a consensual reality and we're trying and the mage is trying to force their view of their their vision of what reality should be onto how everyone sees reality in this there is a objective reality which comes to us from the supernal realm but we get we're the goldfish in the tank and we only see the shadows of the ripples of the water we don't see the wind we don't see all the other things that influence that and so we see a very filtered bit of that reality and mages in this game are not using a paradigm to do magic there is a true supernal form of magic that could be accessed but to do it it has to be invoked with symbolism so it can work into that simple reality so if you wanted to if you wanted to open your scrying portal you could use and you're a free council mage uh you could and you use computers as your tools so again kind of like a virtual adept almost you could use computer to do that as your tool and that's the way you you get the symbolism because a computer is about connections etc etc you're a free council mage so it's one of it, it might be your preferred tools so different mages have different preferred tools uh and that essentially means you you get the magic you want within the within the the scope of the the shell of reality um and i feel that's very that's actually quite different to the other game called mage i don't know how do you guys feel about how magic works in this in that sense in that metaphysical sense it's not that there aren't paradigms it's that there's one paradigm and everybody fights about how best to use that one paradigm. Yeah. I mean, that's the point. Once, you're, once you get to you know, the end game, the end goal, if the Exarchs were kicked off their thrones, then the paradigm could be remade, perhaps. But that's if you get there, which is you know, beyond the scope of what the game's about. Right. And you can get into a really long discussion about, about how this version of Mage relates to the old one when this was once going to be a direct sequel to the old one and how the Exarchs were the true bastards. That's a fun discussion that I believe goes back to a... Go back, find the Darker Days, at Re, Re, Darker Days episode 
from UK Games Expo at least four years ago of me talking to Dave Brookshaw about this, <laughs> and it's a really fun one. Um, anyway, um, what else can we do with spells? There's, um, what other fun things in how they work? We can, I said, there's you, you can screw them up. There's you can, screw, oh, yeah, you can yeah. screw them up. So and that's what, a whole bunch of fun stuff. What happens when we, we screw up a spell? What's going on in the game with that? So between our realm, the fallen world, and the supernal realm, where everything is real and true, there's like a filter called the abyss. And that's the, uh, the glass tank that we're, that we're the goldfish within. So anytime that you try to do an effect that may be just a pushing your abilities just a little more than you should, or maybe trying to, to overstep your bounds, well then paradox is that abyss seeping in and kind of slapping you in the face. Or, or it could just send out a little little monster from the abyss who just wants to be your friend. If you don't, if you don't, there, you can do paradox in, in one of two ways. You can internalize it, where if you screw up, it just smacks you in the face. Real hard, real bad, you get hurt. There are worse things than being hurt. Um, it could send a little friend to help you out. But the only way that this friend knows how to help you out being a creature of the abyss is to make all of your magic much harder to do. And that's how he shows his love, but he does love you. And that's what's important. I, I kind of see it as um, when you write your name, your true name on the watchtower uh, that you're going to walk, um, that is your now access to the magic that that, that watchtower, specific watchtower um, grants. And when you have a backlash big enough, like small stuff may not affect you too much, but if you have a backlash big enough, the abyss actually starts to scratch off your name from that tower and you have a much harder time accessing the magic from that tower um, until you're able to repair that. So I, I, um, that's kind of how I see it or interpret it um, for certain things. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the, the idea of like the scratching off wall, it's almost like a man in the middle attack. Like the, you've mm -hmm. got your communication line to the tower and the abyss is like, hello, and comes straight down to you because it's, it's tapped in. Um, and the abyss is horrible. Like, so it can, it can directly harm you. It can make your magic more difficult or it could make the spell that you're casting still happen, but differently in an abyssal tainted unreality sort of way. So, oh yeah, it can, it can affect, infect your aura. Yeah. Which is, which is like your magical signature on everything that you do. So instead of it being like, you know, this is, this is Chig's grasping hand spell. Well now, now it's the abyss's grasping hand spell. And when I grasp your hand, it hurts. Yeah. Kind of stuff. So, um, and like, I'm just looking at the book. There is almost, oh God, there's almost like a hundred. Is it? It's pretty much the best part of 80 pages worth of, of ropes. And each one of these spells has, uh, describes what, what level in the rote, whether it, what practice, because we talked about veiling or unveiling or unmaking, uh, it talks about suggested rote skills. So ropes can be tied to skills and those skills give you a bonus if it's a rote to do it. Uh, reaching, which is to do with you can power up the spell based upon your arcana level. And then it also has the best bit, which makes these even more useful, is add this to do this. So if you're doing, say, teleportation, a classic space spell, 
you could add death or spirit and by adding those in if you've got two dots in them um it allows you to teleport not only to somewhere else but into another realm so that would allow you to teleport into the underworld which is oh you could go visit grandma yeah which is great um there's a whole lot of thing as well with this as we said about tools there's there's the idea of yantras which are um which are mnemonics they could be hand actions etc uh they could be things that are said that allow you that help the mage then visualize the the spell which is called an imago and once you can visualize the spell you can you know put it into action uh so there's also things called mudras they're related to specific rotes um and then as we said there's tools and depending upon your tools that you use those can have um particular uh resonances with paths or with with the this the magic you're doing so for instance you can use uh each path has five tools so and these tools uh function in the way of coins cups mirrors rods or, or wands so for example the adamantine arrow a, a classic weapon would be like a sword whereas a mascos mage it might be like a, a brutal like spiked mace um things like that no, there's a list here mascos i oh, know mascos was a oh a whip or a curved sword okay well there you go that makes sense um right so we've talked about magic what what else happens in this game as mages um so we talked about vampire in a previous episode. Um, what are some of the equivalent stat line, well, attributes or things that mages have to that compared to vampires? Like, how do we? What happens when we start losing our mind? Oh, <laughs> um, well, one of the things is that your magic can start leaking. Uh, that's fun. Uh, where you just sort of randomly start casting things that you didn't intend to, or you start bringing in and pulling magic in in inopportune times, creating even more paradox. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's always a fun thing. And that's related to uh, then the fact that mages don't have... Um, they don't have... Uh, I don't want to say morality. What is it? They don't have integrity, like in standard Chronicles of Darkness. They have wisdom. Nope. So mages have a. I mean, I guess yeah. The whole point is that mages, because they can change reality, have a skewed view of how to react to weird things, and and they have skewed moralities. Would that be fair to say? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I I would say that the the like everything is just basically a morally gray area for them there is no good or evil because of how they can manipulate everything yeah and so wisdom is more than just a sense of morality it's about whether you should be even using magic to do certain things so if you've got really high wisdom you're not going to use magic to make a cup of coffee because that's just it's just pure hubris it's it's just it's just it's an, it's it's um it's just crazy to be using magic for such flippant little things when you could be look. Using I don't your want my sandwich to... to go bad. I yeah, want exactly. to eat that sandwich, Chris. You, could <laughs> you be don't using understand your magic for, for the benefit of of people for for people in need, but you're just using it to do 
you know, you're using every little moment of magic just to do simple things like that that have oh, no. extra, that have very little benefit to uh, to anyone other than yourself. So, um, whereas obviously, if you wisdom. start doing really horrific things with magic, you're going to get your mora- your your wisdom is going to diminish pretty quickly to quite a low level. At which point, you know, magicking up a sandwich is not going to diminish your, your your wisdom because the next thing that's going to diminish your wisdom is literally doing you know full metal alchemist kind of level of horror of merging someone's pet with their daughter we're talking that horrible um and that's a good that's actually a really good um full metal alchemist as an anime has some really good examples mm-hmm. of where people capable of magic do some fucking hideous things um like and and perhaps the, the worst thing is 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 turning is literally just ripping people's souls out to form a philosopher's stone and there's kind of a spoilers ah, <laughs> it's been long enough, <laughs> long enough. <laughs> um, but you can you can kind of do that in this game can't you you can you one of the things a mage can do which allows them to create a place that has magical resonance for them is to form a soul stone, which is where you take a piece of your soul and physically it becomes a physical thing, which if you leave in, mm-hmm. in a place, you can use that place as a as a laboratory or temple for your magic. Um, and then Gnosis is essentially just a measure of how wise, I'd say wise, how wise your mage is, like how able they are to to sense the world as it is and manipulate it. Um, I think it's a connection. It's it's yeah. a measure of your connection to the supernal realm. Yeah. It's not it doesn't have to do with wisdom, which it should because that's what Gnosis means, but wisdom is already a different stat. Yeah. So yeah. Um right. So that's that's pretty much I think is that the basics of of mage that we've covered there? Is there anything else we want to talk about that we haven't covered about the basics? No. Um, I'm good. You can you can play people that aren't mages, so you can play. Um, sp- are they still sleepers? I can't remember what the um, mage's awakening term for it is. But essentially, your mortals that are aware of magic who work for mages but haven't yet awakened. So that's a bit. Yeah, like they're called sleepers. Ghoul. Yeah, so it's a bit like or sleep. No, it's is it sleepwalkers? Or sleepwalkers. Yeah. yeah. So it's a bit like playing a ghoul or uh, the equivalent in any other game, um, and but the thing is, I think with mage because it has a lot of scope for crossover, you could mostly link in other types of characters quite easily. So I easily see you using from Geist the Sin Eater the rules for play for a playable ghost. And having that as a friendly companion to a cabal of mages, especially if one of the mages is a Moros mage and or, or someone's at least capable of, of death magic. And so easing how the ghost can interact on a day-to-day basis with the rest of the cabal, I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, well, sure, all of the, all of the various uh, paths have some kind of spirit that they interact with or whatever so yeah it's real easy to work in any kind of spirit or any kind of Mm -hmm. non-splat supernatural entity and any supernatural entity that is a splat that interacts with those spirits it's just you know a hop skip and a jump yeah uh, it'd be uh, i mean it'd be very interesting to see 
and again this is stuff that's covered in the contagion chronicle so you can read up in that book you can find out a bit about most probably how mages interact with the demons from demons of descent in particular that may time with and we've said this before how the seers of the throne interact with the angels of the god machine and the and what they think of the god machine is it part of the exarch's plan or is it some other you know horrible extra dimensional you know um eldritch entity uh that's something you can look into uh but yeah you can you can introduce pretty much anything supernatural entities wise as antagonists we talked about Gotia, we talked about uh there's akamoth which are the spirits of the abyss you've got spirits you've got ghosts you've got angels you've got demons you've got fae you've got cryptids certainly are creatures i'm sure mages would be interested in you know discovering and potentially experimenting on or documenting and and uh understanding and just talking to uh, my adamantine arrow wants to go fight a bigfoot yeah exactly. see if you can see, see if you can kick his butt he's got those big feet um, got reach and then there's also i'm trying to think what else you could what other cool things are in here to do that's mostly all the the crossover kind of element um there's other bad guy um i'll say bad guy like mages so there are what are generally deterred called the mad but we use that like that because essentially this is mages that um you know their wisdom has fallen to zero so they are that their hubris is you know unleashed essentially and they are just as you say as crystal said they're leaking magic and reshaping the world around them to, to their whims with zero care because that's how they feel the world should look or is um banishers are a interesting group they are mages that don't want there to be magic but not in the kind of like cutting us off from with the abyss they they just don't want to be themselves in a way uh then Which yeah doesn't make a lot of sense because you don't have to do magic <laughs> you can you can just not <laughs> yeah there's certainly um i think i think but that's always a paradox isn't it if you've got power what do you do with it even if you don't want it you're always drawn to using it um well that's a you problem buddy not a me problem <laughs> that's well that's that's mostly the the um the horror for them and why that becomes the horror for other mages uh there are liches which gets us to the mage the awakening version of the tremere so these are mages which are vampiric in nature but they're still mages they're just stealing people's souls um oh no they're reapers liches are slightly different again and just want to be immortal and not die um and then you've got scalesti who are uh mages who are using the are actually wanting to use the abyss as their form of magic which is quite terrifying because they're essentially wanting to i guess unravel the world and create an anti-world and there are certain entities in the abyss that want to be that are anti-reality so uh what type of games do we would you want to run with this i mean how does this fit in with the ideas of personal horror or ancient evils or you know etc like what kind of themes would you if you were running this game would you want to explore uh crystal 
<laughs> um, I personally love the your guardians are slowly being uh, corrupted by the abyss. Uh, so the the actual guardians of your tower are slowly yeah. being corrupted by the fact that you keep slinging paradox around, and now your magic is slowly becoming abyssal. Um, and how that uh, realization of your fuck ups are actually screwing up the whole tower for everybody, uh, I think it would be really really cool thing to do. Uh, Chick. How would you? What kind of mage chronicle would you run? Crystals is way more horror than mine, but uh, <laughs> I like the I like the idea of uh, an Acanthus chronicle, uh, where you have to run around fulfilling a bunch of oaths and bargains that you and your predecessors have made for powers. Um, like it could be anything from you know go put that quarter in that uh, telephone booth to um, I don't know, raise this sunken continent because hey we're supposed to meet there in three weeks, so you got three weeks to get this continent up for us to run around on. Good luck. And if not, we're going to eat you. Uh, I would mostly run a mostly a kind of like more, I guess, more spy kind of thriller. So I would definitely want the the Scissor Throne to be quite a secretive, unseen enemy, not one that you can easily fight head on, and to have that level of paranoia uh, where the Cabal really can only trust itself. Even though obviously there are other cabals of mages, maybe um, where they are, but there's always that heightened level of of uh, distrust towards others. And as for what the end game of that would be, uh, you know, the exarchs are a horrible. Well, the the Caesar throne are horrible. So there's mostly some um, some over the top dramatic kind of of event that they're gonna create that for some reason helps further seal the cage um you know mostly involving like thousands upon thousands of people dying or or inadvertently doing it and causing some abyssal entity to come in uh, they would have to uh you know contend with something like that i like it and yeah we've said like what other things you can meet in this i mean as for other crossovers and cross kind of uh, mixed parties of characters, um, if you're looking at running a mage game, which other types would you, which other kind of playable uh, major monsters types would you think would fit really well to that game? I don't know if Deviant would be a good fit, maybe. I uh, I I would like to do a play on the monster of the week. Except for everyone has their own set characters, and one person each week, it's a different person, plays a different uh, monster of the week from the other splats, and you have to try and figure out what it is. That's, That's the game. That's really fun. So, so you go and get into trouble to try and figure out what type of trouble they bring to you and what powers they're using. That's definitely very interesting. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think Monster of the Week also fits Mage's kind of like their goal of understanding the world so that's that's always good fun uh and also yeah playing vam i mean if you did that you go is it a vampire and then it's like no i'm playing i'm playing actually a strix that's possessing someone so <laughs> looks like if it looks like a vampire s smells like a vampire and uh walks like a vampire it's mostly a strix um which would be horrifying because i don't think spirit magic works on them 
quite right because they're not quite spirit. They are and they're not. There's something weird with that. So that would be uh, a pain in the ass. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, so hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. A deviant chronicle where every every character's conspiracy that created them turns out to be a Guardians of the Veil mystery cult. Different Shit. cult for everyone. <laughs> all Guardians of the Veil because Guardians of the Veil are assholes. Remember, you heard it here first. <laughs> That's really shitty. Yeah. Um, I obviously I think there's there's a really good crossover with Changeling the Lost because I think the way both groups experience the world are very much like trying to find the magic within it. Um, I I really like demon? the idea of like the. Uh... Oh. I think we lost Crystal. Yeah. Okay, Prometheans. Oh. Crystal, Crystal, are you back? back? We, oh, we, we lost you for ah, a minute there. Sorry. What, what was your idea? Oh, um, so so my idea was uh, where uh, the mages keep trying to make deals with changelings, thinking that they're fair folk, and the uh, changelings are just going along with it. Like, <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh huh. Sure, we'll do that for you. <laughs> uh. Um. Yeah, Chick, you were gonna say. Oh, uh, Prometheans and uh, groups of Moros. Oh, yeah. Because right. Prometheans are not really people, and they're kind of created through magical rituals, sort of, alchemically. So they have that kind of death and alchemy thing going on for them. So it just seems like a natural fit. Uh, I think mages verse, versus some terrible mummy would be good. Mummies like, always make good antagonists. Yeah, and also the the um, oh, what are they called? Is it the unnamed out of mummy? What's oh. the bad guy group in mummy called? I can't remember now. Um, but yeah, I mean the the main the the gods of the duet anyway are a bunch of you know chthonic assholes as well that are just like using mummies for their own and own gain, and it's not a good setup at all. So, uh, yeah, uh, mages versus mummies is good. I mean, demons are really good one because you've got one group because mages are rewriting reality when they do magic. Demons, their abilities are like the back doors of reality. So they, the way they're able to pull off things is that they're not actually they don't even have to change the code. They know they've got access to the um, to to the operating system underneath that and can do other things. So there's a good interplay there, I think, of how two groups uh, are, are changing the world around them. Uh, and I think there's mostly some really tough, tough, uh, tough conversations between mages, especially Mastagos and demons, to do with bargains and taking people's souls away. Um, because I think a demon, given they can do soul stealing in that way, looks very similar to like a Tremere mage so yeah you know um there's mostly a, a tough conversation to happen there um you could mostly have some fun with mages interacting with um crone uh so called the crone or um yeah with uh with crack and their magics or even auto Draco because they're very um experimental uh in their magics almost alchemical in that nature um Geist is obviously the a really good crossover, I think. It's mostly the one group. Like a Morris Mage and a Sin Eater likely could have a really just generally good time. Like 
you could open up gateways. Oh, like the it's a buddy really cop easily. movie. It, well, yeah, like, <laughs> like, kind of. Actually, yeah, because like the the sin eater can see ghosts too much all the time. The Morris mage can see ghosts through mage sight relatively easily. So all mages have mage sight of a certain degree based upon their arcana, so they can experience reality through those lenses. So, so yeah, like a Morris mage with a, a sin eater is really interesting because the the mage could pull off manipulations of death magic which go far and beyond what what a sin eater can do and i think the last last thing that i think the worst case scenario is like what happens when a morris meets one of the 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 caraboy you know the the lords of the domains in the underworld because they are very like particular on the rules of how their domains work and then this asshole turns up who's able to rewrite reality and can most probably with a little bit of fate go oh i like your rules they're different that would really be interesting but to explore generally the mages act or interact with the supernal ideals of these realities not the ones that the other splats oh no they, they there's the that's where the where their power comes from is the supernal ones but because the mages are in the fallen world they can access the underworld and go to the and go to the other levels of it mm. so mm. uh because of mind magic and mostly mixed with faith a mage can walk the dreaming roads between um people's dreams their their dream uh bastions but i think it's quite difficult for a mage then to jump over it to to work their way from the dream roads into the hedge because those two realms are rub up against each other but a mage can go into go from dream realms into the kind of more gestalt uh mind realms that that exist the terminos and the Teramos and the blah 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 and the other one and all almost all the way to the what is it it's the it's not the primal wild it's the what's the one the beast lurk in uh the, i thought it was oh. the primal wild yeah but i thought that was the primal one but yeah they can go it's not no because the primal wild's the the supernal one it's the something anyway there's this realm which is where where the beast things come from so Mages can go all the way there relatively easily, whereas a changeling can't make that jump because their their soul is not set up in that way. So there's a, again, there's a really there's an interesting interplay of about mages there and dreams with changelings. Uh, that makes the true fate a, a, a fun antagonist for mages um, because they're they don't really they follow weird rules. Um, What's the other thing that I was going to say that was a good antagonist? Uh, werewolves and spirits, again, is that's another playground of spirits to deal with. Um, which group of werewolves would get on with mages? I don't know. I don't think werewolf groups get on with anybody. They're no, they're very know. isolationist. I mean, would <laughs> would would the would the antagonist groups of werewolf find anything in common with mages at all? Mostly the pure? not. The pure? No. No. <laughs> no. But again, no. read up on uh, Contagion Chronicle because again, there's going to be uh, expansive rundown of how these groups interact and get on and unlock further powers. 
Uh, to wrap up, uh, there are some uh, historical settings. Some of them are crossover. So there's the Dark Eras book. One in the first book, there's the Sundered World. So that's a crossover with Werewolf set in around the Balkans area in 5500 BCE with the Dawn of Civilization. So that's very strange magic and spirits running rampant. And I guess the cage reality is not quite set up yet uh you've also got to the strongest which is 330 bce which deals with alexander the great and essentially hellenistic mythic mage and then another one which is in i guess the second book to dark eras i'm sure there's some other ones in there but this one is the light of the uh, light of the sun which is 1630 uh ce and that deals with the italian renaissance and is a crossover between mage demon and deviant so obviously it's things to do with like galileo and you know how the universe solar system operates and that's kind of i guess the crossover with demon there is because you know that idea that the stars the moon the sun are working on a celestial kind of uh rhythms and clockwork and that that works quite well with the idea of the god machine being this um, clockwork machine-like abyss uh, uh, eldritch entity. Uh, how the, how deviant works is that I don't know. I need to read that fully, but that could be really fun to run. Actually, mage, demon, and deviant. That would be um, that would be really interesting. Fun. I should Italian... read through that. Yeah, I mean, I I really you know I've run first edition mage. I've not run second edition yet. Uh, I do want to run it or at least play it. Again, it's one of these things. I want to run anything, but it's just like, do I have time? The answer is no. Um, but I do want to play these things. Um, so to finish up, um, we obviously there was the role for Ukraine that had that went really well. They hit their target uh, donations. Um, so now there is a, I guess, We'll have a link in the show notes for this when it goes up on the podcast yep. of where to send further donations uh, to help out in the relief efforts for Ukraine. Uh, recently, episodes out for Dark Days Radio, you can go listen to Dark Hammer, which went out on Friday, uh, where we talk about the Champions of Death book. So Real fun Blood episode. Hey? Real fun episode. <laughs> yeah. I enjoyed listening to it. Um, so yeah, you can play, it's Age of Sigmar Soulbound, you know, Warhammer RPG, where you can play as the undead, and lots of different forms of undead uh, in that game, so that's, uh, it's a really good book. Um, you can also go back and listen to our Soulbound game, Reap and Sow, uh, and previously, whatever, we've got episodes coming out, I think next week we should have out the podcast episode of the last episode of this, I think. Um, which is our overview of Chronicles of Darkness in general, uh, with you, Crystal, and Mike was on that one, and we'll have Werewolf next month, and we also still have a interview with uh, Kaldung Hill, uh, talking about um, Vampire, the Master Fifth Edition uh, book, Second Inquisition, oh, well, no, Sabat and Second Inquisition, and talking about his Storyteller Vault book, which was the Player's Handbook. I think it's Player's Guide or Player's Handbook to Sabat. So, playable Sabat. Um, but his interpretation, because there's about three or four Sabat books on the Storyteller Vault. So, that's his yep. interpretation as, you know, 
you can pick and choose which version of how you want to play the sabbat but he has his interpretation that's written up uh is there anything else i've missed or that's worth promoting yeah um so this whole this is the 10th anniversary for onyx path and since we're doing the um the signal uh signal black uh, they are also doing every month they are featuring one of their games and this month is cavaliers of mars um, which is like John Company, John Carpenter of Mars meets the, um, Three Musketeers. Uh, it's a fantastic game system. Um, I played a stream of it on Friday, and it's up on the Onyx Path Twitch, cool. and it will be up on the YouTube. Um, and it was the first time I actually got to play. I've run it a lot, but I've never actually got to play it. And um, it has being one of my top 10 favorite games um I only so have never played it it's on sale right now through drive through rpg oh. march sale right now currently and it is like really cheap for the pdf and it's also on sale for the print on demand okay so uh sorry i think we got a pause in the thing so it's on sale right now on drive through rpg isn't it and on print yes on demand. Yeah. and and ipr too Okay, uh, indie cool. press revolution if you don't know what ipr is sorry <laughs> so that means you can get the premium like trad print run version of it mm -hmm. yeah pod cool cool cool, yep. cool uh right uh i think that is about it then uh if there's nothing else to promote plug or or say uh right so if you have any feedback um email us darkdaysradio at gmail.com uh you can find us on facebook you can find us at Dark Days Radio on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Twitch, obviously, if you're watching this right now, uh, YouTube, uh, and of course we have a Discord uh, where you can chat about this and any other games that we uh, are interested in. Um, right, well that's it. Thank you, you two, for helping me out with this, because Mage, there's a lot, and I don't, you know, we, we really only touched the very tip of the iceberg on this. We'll have to return to it at some point, like more than likely we'll come back to this and do you know spell casting how it's done and go through the mechanics of it because that's potentially like the most critical bit of mage and would require some dedicated time to looking at uh but otherwise i think that's it for now so we will say goodbye and we will see you again soon in a month's time for more signal black where we'll be looking at werewolf the forsaken so goodbye and take care bye, bye. <laughs>this has been an episode of darker days radio special thanks to occam's laser for the intro outro and new bumper music from their hit album nine circles check out the rest of their work at occamslaser.bandcamp.com